All right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Glad everyone's able to make it here this morning. Um, <clears throat> this is our uh, last week of this summer series. Hard to believe that summer is already over. I know our kids are getting ready to go back to school. And those of you who have kids, uh, they're getting ready to go to school. Um, which uh, my wife and I have very mixed feelings. She, we, when we go to the store and there's school supplies, she's like, "Oh man, this is so great!" Like I just, I mean, I remember getting these, and I'm like, my, my still, my stomach turns when I ha- when I the, the the smell of school supplies. I'm like, "You got to go back. I got to go back to school." And it's like I haven't been to school in a long time. Uh, and I and I just man, I still just feel that of like summer's over, right? Got to go back and now study and read books, all that boring stuff. Um, but you get to see your friends, which is always a perk. Anyways, sorry, tangent, catch the rabbit. We are ending this series today of not just another story. We've been looking at different parables and teachings of Jesus that sometimes we can just kind of read over and gloss over. Then we want to take a break and pause and go, wow, man, this is not just another story that Jesus is telling. There's some, there's some depth here. And so that we'll, we'll be ending this and we'll be Kicking, picking back up in Romans chapter four. And so uh, this will, that'll will literally have been, I think week 21. I could totally be wrong on that. I don't remember. I think it's week 21. It'll be for Romans. Um, and so we're going to do a week of recap. Um, I had mentioned that a couple weeks ago and I got an email from someone just saying, hey, uh, could, we, could you clarify this thing um, while you're doing that? And it's like, great. So I was like, man, I, would, I might as well solicit questions. And so if you have a question, like, hey, I kind of missed this thing again, on Romans 1 through 3. So don't jump to chapter 8, 9, and 10 and all the fun things. Okay, we'll get to that next year um, at some point next fall. Um, but uh, if you have questions about the recap, just let me know, and I would love to be able to answer that. All right, this is, uh, this is me and my boy, my, my oldest. We went camping. This is actually two years ago. Um, and uh, we, we took this. I, I bring this up because I, I enjoy camping. I love camping. I uh, don't get to do it as often as I would like. I'm going to take my, my two boys now, four and six, to, to camp at some point this fall. But for me, half of the joy of camping is the preparation. And that might sound weird. Um, but, but, but making sure you got the right food, making sure you got all the water, making sure your tent's all good to go, making sure you got all the things you could possibly need, right, and imagine, right? I've got my coffee and my percolator and I got my, my little stove top and I got all my, got everything I could possibly need, right? Uh, and knowing I've got a four-year-old with me, so it's like, okay, I've got to bring some, you know, freeze-dried meals, I got to bring some hot dogs, I got to, who knows, I don't know what if he's going to like any of this food. For sure, you got to bring the mallows, you know, and do the s'more thing. Um, and we had a really good time uh, until that night, and as, as all the prep I had done, and I had planned everything, right? And you can see we kind of backpacked in. I, I had a wagon that I pulled behind me on the trail, and we had everything. I mean, I brought everything except sleeping bags. <laughs> and and uh, it got a little chilly. It rained all night long. And, and all the planning, right? I made this stupid mistake. I mean, that's like number one in wilderness survival, right? You got to have a sleeping bag. And, and I didn't. And I forgot it, and I wasn't, and I wasn't prepared, and I didn't have the essentials, and that's going to be a part of this week's sermon, where initially I had titled this sermon, Be Prepared, or Are You Prepared? And then as I really got into the text, and really started digging into this a little bit more, the, the verb isn't about preparation, it's about watching, so we'll, we'll see that. So if you wouldn't mind 
Um, we don't always do this, but just this morning, let's do this. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just stand with me as I read out loud. I'll have all the scripture on the screen. I'll be reading from the uh, NIV, um, and I'll just read this out loud. Uh, you don't need to read it with me. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, says this. Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went, uh, went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Thank you, you may be seated. I wanna tell you a little bit, uh, maybe just kind of my weekly routine when it comes to sermon prep. A lot of you know that on Monday mornings we have a, a call uh, between the communicators and other some key staff, men and women at the church that we uh, discuss the week's passage and we um, just things that pop up. Well, this, this Monday I wasn't able uh, to, to attend that call and so I was kind of left on my own, right? And so I, I have a lot of commentaries, a lot of books, a lot of resources and I started reading them and and it just, as I, as I was digging into this, um, I felt like, yeah, okay, I think I know where this story's going. I think I know the, the idea that Jesus is getting to. And, and, and then I found a couple other commentaries. Then I found out that one of my um, pastor friends in Indiana, that he had wrote his dissertation on this passage. And so I went and read 110 pages of his dissertation yesterday. And then it was... Um, had me confused, <laughs> right? And so, so it's been a little bit of a different prep. And while things didn't really uh, sway all that much, I, I don't know, I, I think, again, just that idea of the, of the watch became more prevalent than the preparedness. Uh, but in my, in my prep, a lot of you know uh, my infatuation with my mentor who is dead, who I never got to meet, uh, R.C. Sproul, um, that uh, I, I stumbled across a podcast or one of his sermons from 2010 uh, on this passage. And he, uh, he gets done talking about uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount and, and where Jesus is, is preaching to, to thousands of people. And he shares the story and the, and the idea that many are gonna come to me on that day and they're gonna say, uh, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not preach in your name? Did we not lead people to you? And Jesus is gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. And this is what R.C. Sproul then says, right after just kind of recapping that, he says this. But if there is any one passage that can contend for it, for being even more frightening, 
It is the parable of the virgins that we have just heard. I remind you before we look at this text that this is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and it is given to us through the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, as the infallible word of God, nothing less. Let us pray. And then he prays. This is what he prays. Oh God, if ever we would be moved to clap our hands over our ears lest we hear your word, this would be the time. If ever there was a moment for us to close our minds to even considering the possibility of the truth of your word, this would be the time. And so I ask that you would please open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to hear your words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a, this, this is a heavy passage. And, and, and at first reading, you might go, well, is it really? I mean, it just kind of seems a little obvious. It seems like another story. It seems like, yeah, there were, there were 10 people, five were ready, five weren't. Uh, we need Jesus. It's kind, of what it, it's kind of what it sounds like. Well, there might be a little bit more going on. And yet, as much as I love R.C. Sproul, R.I.P., love you, buddy, that uh, I disagree with him uh, on some things, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about. And that this, this passage, and, and maybe some of you, if you grew up in church and, and whatever circles you might be, this passage might have been used as a frightening passage, as a passage to, to scare you out of hell. Now, I don't think that's what's going on here. And so we got to look at a little bit of the context. So what is the context leading up to the parable? Jesus, this is what's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew. This is actually the first of the summer series we've been in Matthew. And in the chapter right before, right, we just read chapter 25, the beginning of chapter 25, 1 through 13. If you go back to chapter 24, the end of it, I'm just going to read it. You're going to hear a lot of very similar themes. Watch, look out, be ready. You're going to hear some of that. The thing is with uh, Matthew chapter 24, and I listened to a couple other podcasts this week of, of looking at this, the apocalyptic nature of some of the gospels, meaning this end times future, what is the return of Jesus? What is the second coming of Jesus gonna be like? Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and so if you weren't here, that's okay, um, that we had this idea of a dual fulfillment, meaning, uh, and I use the, 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 the idea of the candies, the now and laters. Remember those awful candies that would destroy your teeth, literally? Um, that that, that you, you can enjoy it now, but it's so chewy and it lasts so long, you also can enjoy it later. And that's what happens a lot of times in prophecy. That, that a prophet will say something that's true of them in their time, in their town now, but also has a, a, a future fulfillment. And I think that that's what's happening in, in all of that discourse which I think Jesus gives hints to it in his language, that this isn't only just some end times future prophecy of when Jesus is going to return. It's also a true thing that's about to happen in their lifetime, in the listeners and in Jesus's lifetime, that he's going to die on the cross and after the crucifixion, the world as they know it is gonna turn upside down and their world literally is gonna come crashing down on their heads. And a lot of people are going to die. So, Matthew chapter 24, 36 through 51. I'm just going to read this. But about that day or hour, no one knows. And, and, and just instead of thinking future, end times, just think, is he talking about the cross? Is he talking about the day where the kingdom of God was actually ushered in? Where the veil is ripped in half and now there is no sacred and secular. The sacred now 
influences the secular. It's everywhere. So let's read this. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that, that, that this idea of being left behind. And in this passage, the ones left behind are the ones who are going to be saved. The ones taken are the ones that are going to be as we're going to see, chopped up with the, with the hypocrites. Not good, okay? So, so we've got to be careful to be like, oh, left behind, bad. We need to be taken. Okay, well, let's be careful here. That's not the point. Two women will be grinding with the hand mill, and one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, here it is again. Here's that theme. Keep watch, because you do not know the day your Lord will come. Now, why in the world would Jesus tell his followers to keep watch if he's not gonna return for thousands of years. There's something happening now, there, in their town. But understand this, that if the owner of the house, and he's gonna go and break into the story and parable again, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you, are not, when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who... Uh, who the master has put in charge of the servants and his household to give them their food at the proper time, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will be put in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. We're going to look at that theme of away a long time again in this passage. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come in that day when he does not expect him at an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. There will also be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I'm not saying that this passage isn't about the second coming of Christ or when Jesus returns. What I'm saying is there's something that's going to happen now, in their day, in their time, up until 70 AD, when Rome destroys Jerusalem and everyone who's in it. You can see some parallels of their day and future day, whenever that may be. And again, there's this idea of waiting with Israel. They've been waiting a long time. They, they waited in the wilderness. They waited when they were in slavery. They've been waiting for 400 years of silence, and then Jesus shows up. But what will happen? We're going to look at a little bit more about that in a minute. Now, this is an image that if you've been coming to Lower Town for any amount of time, you're super familiar with. We have to grasp the text in their town. We have to know what it meant to them. What are the original hearers here? Because if Jesus is only talking future prophecy, then it didn't mean anything to them. And that's just not how scripture works. It meant something to them there and now. And then we cross the principalizing bridge. What does it mean to us? We consult the biblical roadmap. We're gonna see a lot of other passages that have the same themes. And then and only then can we grasp the text in our town. If we immediately read that text and say, what does this mean to me? Then we're doomsdayers. We're wearing the signs. The end is near, repent. The end is near, right? We're out in the corner, which we should do. But that's, let's be careful with jumping to the conclusion of our town without understanding what it meant to them, okay? 
Now, again, we've been doing this all summer long. What is a parable? Parable, parabola, just alongside of something else. And what is it alongside, right? It is alongside, usually, almost always, when Jesus tells a parable, it is a story to help us understand what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's not an allegory. There might be elements of allegory in a parable. For example, when Jesus talks about the four different types of soil, right? A, a sower goes out and he casts his seeds out into the, to the field and, and one lands on stony ground, but then he explains it. Oh, the stony ground represents this kind of heart and the, and the, 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 uh, the, the one, the, what's another soil? <laughs> I'm blanking. The path, right, when some of it falls under the path, the, the rocky path, right, the hard path, and it doesn't even penetrate, okay? But he explains, this is, this is, what's, this is a one-for-one one here, okay? Now, we gotta be careful to do that when we're talking about parables because the one truth, the one meaning is gonna be the kingdom of God, and Jesus explicitly says that at the beginning of this passage. Matthew 20, 25, verse one, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now again, let's think. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. What did it mean to them? Not just some end times thing, some apocryphal language of when Jesus is gonna return. What did it mean to them? Because Jesus is gonna be using this language that he has said about himself over and over. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near, right? God, your, your kingdom come, your will be done. And the moment that he dies on the cross, Everything is going to change. That the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in and the world as they know it will come crashing down. Now let's look at a little bit of context around a Jewish wedding. The passage I just read in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, talks about these 10 virgins. What in the world is going on? All right, this is very different from our culture. Uh, and even, even the, the research and all the digging I was doing, there was even some conflicting, um, at least ancient traditions and Jewish traditions, but the things that they did agree on was this, that these virgins that are mentioned in the, in the story, virgin is just synonymous with a young woman, typically uh, a virgin, and so that was what was happening, but they were the bridal party, okay? They were the, they were the bridesmaids, if you will. The, bri the bride's not even mentioned in this story. The, the bride's not even here, okay? The bride is in her home waiting, getting ready, getting prepared. She's physically getting ready. Where the bridesmaids are out waiting. Now, what are they waiting for? The groom. The groom was out at his house. Now, his house could be the next street over. It could be the next town over. And if, the, and if it's the next town over, right, and maybe that next town is 10 miles away. And it's gonna take him maybe a day or two to walk there and to journey there. And what would a husband do in this betrothal period to his, to his bride, uh, his, his fiance, if you want to use our language, he would prepare a place for them to stay. He would build a house. He would build and prepare a place for them to live and he would get ready the wedding feast and this big party that's gonna happen because they would actually do the wedding ceremony at their new house, at their new compound. They, he might build a, an addition to his parents' place. He might build his own place. Whatever it may be, that's what happens. That's the context. And so no one knows, nobody knows when or, or exactly when, what time the groom is gonna come into town to retrieve his bride and then they're gonna have this huge ceremony, this awesome ceremony where they're all gonna walk back to the groom's house to have the wedding uh, celebration. Okay, so 
So he's coming to town and the bridesmaid's job is to wait. So when they see him coming, they sound the bells, they get the torches lit, they go out running out and they welcome him in to retrieve his bride to go back to his town or to his neighborhood or to his house to have the wedding feast. So that's a little bit of the context. And so we can see this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps out and went out to meet the bridegroom. So what I just explained, okay? So they would have gone out. This image here obviously is very cartoony. Um, some traditions might be lost or not. That, that little tent there was to represent Abraham's tent that was open, I guess, to the air. I don't even, I don't understand what's going on there. But they would have these candles. They'd have these um, either torches or they'd have these uh, uh, little, little um, oil lamps, right? Uh, and they would go out and they'd carry them out. My guess is it would be a torch where they would either uh, take a torch and, and they would dip it in oil and, and, and be ready with the oil or they would have an oil lamp. Um, either way, doesn't matter. Um, that, that translation's a little weird, but doesn't matter, okay? It's something that's going to be lit on fire to go out in the middle of night. This text says midnight. It's gonna be pitch black. In Jerusalem, there's no, there's no uh, street lamps, street lights, right? They're going out and they're gonna welcome in the groom and, and, and walk with him as an entourage to go get the bride. Now, here's another thing though. This parable has nothing to do with marriage, okay? This parable is not about like, oh, hey, look how the husband, groom, look how he does all this stuff for his bride. It's got nothing to do with that, okay? That's not what this is about. That's when you start to get allegory, allegorical or what, that's not what we're doing. It's got nothing to do with marriage. I read one uh, person who uh, wrote in a question who said, why does Jesus, um, uh, why doesn't he condemn polygamy? Right, this man is coming to these 10 brides. Whoa, 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 no he's not. <laughs> that is not what's happening. Uh, that never happened, uh, at least within the Jewish tradition in this period, uh, that, that polygamy was not a good thing. Uh, am I saying the right word, polygamy? That's right, okay, it sounded weird. But the second time I said it, I was like, ugh, is that the right word? Uh, it has nothing to do with marriage. Here's what it does have to do with. It has to be about the watchfulness of the followers of Christ for the groom's wedding feast in their town and our town. He explicitly says this in verse 13 to his followers, and therefore us. Therefore, keep watch. That's the main verb. Keep watch. You keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So let's keep walking through this text. Verse two, five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, would not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps, right? The wise ones remembered their sleeping bags. The foolish ones didn't. Again, translation here, this is a little bit easier for our minds to understand foolish and wise, but it, but it really is, is stupid and, and prudent. Okay, there's a little bit of a difference there in that language of like just flat out, just stupid. That was, you're stupid to not be ready. You're stupid to go camping without sleeping bags, right? That's just stupid, right? It is, it is stupid, I admit that, right? Prudent though here, because we're gonna see, are they being selfish with their oil? Are they being wise? Are they being prudent with their oil? Why not share it? Isn't that the golden rule that I wanna treat others the way they wanna be treated? So what, what's going on here? It says this then, the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. This idea of long time, I kind of mentioned that. And this picture here is interesting because it 
seemingly has the five foolish, unwise, stupid uh, virgins who don't have enough oil to keep it through the night. But what we read is that all 10 fell asleep. Okay, so, so watchfulness doesn't mean like always ready, right? I got my, I got, I don't know. I'm like looking up at the sky and I'm just waiting for Jesus to return. Right? That, that's not what watchfulness means here. You can sleep, it's okay, <laughs> right? So they all fall asleep, they're all drowsy. Why? Because the groom was away for a long time. He went to prepare a place for his bride and, and it took a longer time than what they were expecting, right? But when he comes, they're, they're now waiting and ready. And again, the history of Israel, the 400 years of slavery, 400 years of silence, and even in our day, 2,000 years of church history of waiting for the second coming of Christ. The apostle Peter tells us about this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, again, it's going to be the same language. Jesus says, this, these are the last days. The last days are happening because it was happening to them in their town, in their day. And the same, because is exactly what happened with Peter, that Nero is there killing Christians, lighting them on fire as candles. These are the last days, but they're also the last days for us. There's a dual meaning here. In the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. <laughs> I'm a scoffer, I scoff at you. And following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Right? When's Jesus coming back? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It's the same old story over and over and over. Where is he? The same way in their day that they waited, we wait and we get mocked, as I said a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Again, just, we believe that Jesus, who was crucified and rose again and ascended into glory with his father, is in a physical body somewhere, his glorified body, and he's going to come back. Jesus is going to return in a body and be like, I win. See, I told you. We believe that. That's foolishness. We're gonna get mocked for that, as we have for thousands of years. Nothing's changed. So then we see the groom arrive. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom. Now, we don't know if it was the virgins who woke up and saw him or somebody else saw. Here comes the groom, right? And they, they kind of wake up. Oh, no, no, here he is. He's coming. We gotta run out, right? It says, come out to meet him. This is, I, I love this idea, right? Because we see this in movies. We see this in, in our own culture, right? We see this when, when, when grandma comes to town and she pulls up in the driveway. What do you do, grandkid? Like, well, we're just gonna wait. Come on, grandma, get in. When are you gonna knock on the door? No, we run out. I haven't seen grandma in a long time. I wanna go see her. I wanna, I'm gonna run out. I'm gonna grab her. I'm gonna take her things. and I'm gonna welcome her into my home. It's the same thing, right? In the movie Gladiator, right? When, when he comes in, the new Caesar comes in, right? There's this huge party to welcome in the victor, right? After war. And Jesus just had this happen to him. Not even a week ago before in the context, Jesus comes in this triumphal entry and he's coming into Jerusalem. And what happens? The people see the Messiah, and they run out to him and they welcome him in. There's this big party. They welcome him in. It's the exact same way in a wedding feast. Exact same way. That it was true then as it is true now 
as it will be in the future as we read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. This explicitly is about the return of Jesus. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to go outside of this world. Well, however that works, we're going to go outside of the city gates. We're going to go outside of his new heaven on earth. When heaven meets earth, we're going to meet him in the air, and we're going to welcome him back to earth. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The groom is coming. When? I have no idea. No one knows. But we have to be watchful. We have to be ready. And he says here, the Apostle Paul, encourage one another with these words. Why? Because we sound like fools. But he's coming. He said, the last words that we have recorded in the Bible from Jesus is, behold, I come quickly. So then be prepared. Be ready. Verse seven, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps and the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil and our lamps, our lamps are going out. Okay, so they, they wake up from their slumber. They hear, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And the foolish ones are like, oh, our lamps are going out. I just had a flashback. The light is going out in me. Uh, for Raiders of the Lost Ark, remember that? Remember the, 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 the torch is going out and all the snakes are coming in, right? The lamps are about to go out and they're feeling that pressure. And he says, no, 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 hey, hey, you have plenty of oil. Give us some oil. I'm like, no, 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 we can't give you oil. We need this oil because we're gonna go out and get him and we're gonna bring him in and then we're gonna go back out again, go back to his place. We need our oil. He says, no, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you Instead, go to those who sell and buy some for yourselves. I've said this every week that I've been up here this summer, and I'm pretty sure Ben and Paul did the same when they spoke. Parables are not allegories. There are allegorical elements to some of them, and maybe there is an allegorical element here and maybe not. But what I do know is that oil, all throughout the Bible, is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. That in the Old Testament, when someone's anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit descends on them. Now, the, again, the problem with allegory here is then to say, okay, well, then that means the foolish virgins, they had some oil, but not enough. So they had some of the Holy Spirit, but not enough. So does that mean the Holy Spirit leaves us or we can like burn out the Holy Spirit? That's where, that's, see how allegories break down? Doesn't work that way. But here's a biblical truth that I think we can get from this text. I can't save you. I can't give you the Holy Spirit. I can't save myself. I need the Spirit of God to give me faith, a profession of faith. No one has ever been saved by saying, I am a Christian. No one, that doesn't save anybody. A profession of faith doesn't save you. It's true, inward transformation of the Holy Spirit making me alive from death to life, from darkness to light, to glorious light, a resurrected circumcision of the heart, a new life, a new creature, walking a new road, wearing a new name. It's a whole new thing. I can't do that to myself and I can't do that to you and I can't do that for my kids as much as I may want to. And I, the apostle Paul says the same thing. Oh, I would, he says, I would spend eternity in hell if I could just save some of my brothers and sisters. And I feel the same way about my kids, not you so much. 
I can't do it. That's the hard part about this passage and why I think I shifted of like, oh, be prepared, be ready. Because our readiness is dependent on Jesus. <laughs> our readiness and our preparedness is dependent on Jesus saving my soul. It has everything to do with my faith in him. And so we get to our verb that he gives them and gives us keep watch. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet. Okay, so he came, he received his bride and then they left and now they're going to get, uh, going now to the, to the groom's place for the party, for the actual wedding ceremony. It says, and the door was shut. So they get to their compound and the door is shut. And so later these five virgins come and they come running over there. They find his place and they bang on the door. Lord, Lord, open the door for us, right? We're here, right? We're, we're five of the bridal party. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't, know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So what does this mean to keep watch in their town in this text? Again, they all fall asleep. Watchfulness is not about just staying awake all the time and constantly thinking, okay, well, he's coming back, he's coming back, what can I do? It's being prepared, being filled with the spirit of God in order that I am ready and I can be ready and watchful and waiting for the king, for the groom when he comes back. Watchfulness, again, is synonymous with readiness. Those who were ready and prepared for the day of the Lord, the crucifixion when it was gonna happen and the world comes crashing down, put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the Lamb of God. Truly, this is the Son of God. And there were those others and other individuals who looked just like them. Neighbors, family, friends, they attended the same synagogue, they worshiped the same God, and they rejected Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus tells them, I don't know who you are. How do we grasp this text in our town now? Again, it's not just looking to the sky. How do we grasp this text? Again, watchfulness is synonymous with readiness. How can we be ready? How can we be watchful? Those who are ready and prepared for the day of the Lord when he does return, when the world will come crushing, crashing down and everything as we know it will change, put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And there will be those, which is why R.C. Sproul says this is a frightening passage in our midst, in our community, in our churches, who tithe, who are members, who preach, who don't put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They might talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And in their souls reject Jesus as the Messiah and he will tell us I don't know who you are. It's interesting that Jesus says five and five. Five wise, five foolish. Why not nine wise and one foolish? Why is it a 50-50? 
And, that, and that's why R.C. Sproul says this is terrifying. I disagree on this note because the gospel is readily available for all. Anyone and everybody can go to the cross, can come to Jesus, as we looked at a couple weeks ago in Luke chapter 14. Again, a wedding banquet, a celebration. And those who were initially invited, the Jews, reject the invitation on the second time. And he says, fine, forget it. Let's get everyone in here. So the Lord said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. He goes to prepare a place and he's gonna come back and all who are willing and ready and accepting of the free gift of salvation that comes through the blood of Christ will be saved and will be welcomed in and we are going to party for all of eternity. Jesus says, I want my house to be full. The problem is people are still rejecting me. And yet, there's so many, so many beautiful, when we consult that biblical roadmap, there's some beautiful images that we get to see of the future, of this wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19, six through nine, it says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. I mean, just multitudes of people, innumerable amount of people crying out, shouting out, hallelujah, right? hallelujah. It's one of my favorite words. It means he's winning and he's going to win. Right? That's, it's, but now it's gonna be he won, he did it. He did what he said he was gonna do, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the almighty reigns, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The followers of Jesus Christ, it says it was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. Our brightness, our purity, our clothing of righteousness has absolutely nothing to do with us. We are fallen, broken sinners who worship ourselves in the creation rather than the creator. And we need the God of the universe to perform a miracle in our souls to make us inclined to want to even worship him. It's gonna be an awesome day. It says, for the fine linen is the righteous, righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. In conclusion, are you prepared to keep watch? I'm, I'm telling you, today, today, if you don't have faith in Jesus to take away your sins and therefore the punishment that we deserve and the punishment that our sins require, you aren't ready. And you aren't ready to watch for his return. Again, Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. To those who would say, I, I, I do believe this. I, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm in the wise camp here because I know that my faith is in Jesus Christ alone. I know that, that's what it is. 
the groom is taking his time, right? The groom is preparing a place and it's taken a while. He's saying, be vigilant, be sober-minded in soul and spirit. He's taken a while, do not grow weary and keep watch and wait and pray for the glorious day of his return so we can welcome him in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you just for again our time here this morning. I pray that this passage, for those who would say, man, I don't have faith. I pray that it would be frightening. I pray as R.C. Sproul prayed 13 years ago that our hearts and our minds would be open to this. That your spirit would convict over their sin, over the immense depth of their sinfulness and they would repent and be saved today. And those of us who would consider ourselves to be wise, who would say, yes, we have faith in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, would you give us a sobering reality that you are coming back, to have faith in you that you are returning, that we would not grow weary, that we would keep watch, and we would encourage others to keep watch, and we pray that your spirit would help us all to prepare, be prepared so that your house will be, would be full. That your spirit and the followers of you would go to the highways and the hedges and compel those to come in that your house may be full. God, we love you and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.